Hi, welcome to my CBT podcast. This is Dr. Julie Osborne, and thanks again for being with me this week. So in case you missed it, last Saturday, I did a Facebook Live, which turned out really great, and we turned it into my podcast for this week. So you'll be able to listen to it. I talk about a lot of different topics and reading some emails and answering your questions. So it was a really cool event and I had a great turnout and I really appreciate everybody listening and being there with me for support and sending in questions. So you'll be able to hear it today. You also can see the actual video if you'd like on my professional Facebook page, which is under Julie L. Osborne LCSW. And just scroll down, you'll be able to see the whole video if you like to watch it. So before we get started, I wanted to read a new review I got. So I really appreciate all of you listening and anyone that watches or listens, I should say, I'm sorry, on Apple Podcasts. If you can subscribe, rate, and review, I'd really appreciate it. But today I want to talk about my last podcast that came out, which Core Beliefs, that I got a really wonderful review from my colleague, Michael, and I wanted to read it. So it said, Dr. Osborne's episode on core beliefs is a must listen. I'm a colleague of Julie's, and so I know her personally. I admire how clearly she defines the different aspects of cognitive behavioral therapy in her episodes and provides such useful narrative and stories to illustrate the points. In her podcast on core beliefs, a difficult concept for many of us to understand and use in treatment, Dr. Osborne makes it easy to understand. She uses personal, tender examples from her home life that drew me in and helped me to see how core beliefs can negatively impact our lives for years, and yet how a person can examine them and rewrite the narrative or rewire the brain and no longer be subjected to depression or an unhealthy habit. Great job, Julie. Love it. I'm a fan. Michael Mikulski, licensed marriage family therapist. So thanks again, Michael. Shout out to you. I really appreciate you taking the time to review and listening to my podcast. So again, enjoy this episode of my Facebook Live and keep writing to me with your questions and comments and ideas about the podcast and we'll keep going forward. Hi, I'm Dr. Julie Osborne and welcome to my first CBT podcast Facebook Live. And this is Paisley that's here with me. This is my pug that we rescued back in May. So she wanted to hang out next to me. So I don't know if she'll be here for the whole time, but if you have questions for her, you can write to her as well. So during this time, um, my producer, Eric, is going to be taking your questions and letting me know um, what things you're interested in and you want to talk about. But I first want to say I really appreciate you being here with me. It's been really exciting doing the podcast. I started back in March. And since then, I've, I've literally heard from people all over the world, which I can't even believe. So um, I have an email I'm going to read to you from someone from South Africa and someone from Ireland contacting me today and um, the UK and all over the United States. And it's just been really fun. And as I say on my podcast that, you know, my intention was to teach everybody more about what cognitive behavioral therapy is because it was life changing for me. And I believe it's just the greatest therapy out there. And a lot of people have not been able to, you know, the resources or the time to be able to go to therapy themselves. So I thought, you know, what better way than to just, you know, do these podcasts and be able to address questions. And I've just gotten a lot of positive feedback from everybody along the way that it's really helped. So my intention is being fulfilled and I'm really excited and happy about that. So um, just tell you a little bit more about myself. So I'm in Irvine, California, and I have a private practice here. 
now I'm doing telehealth from home since the pandemic, but I'm hoping, you know, to eventually get back to the office because I really miss seeing my clients in person. But I'm grateful that the telehealth's been working and you still feel a connection with everybody. And, you know, it's been able to help all of us through this difficult time and uh, continue difficult time and really challenging. So um, I'm always here to reach out as well, not just being a therapist to you, but again, if you got questions, emails, um, I respond to people pretty quick and, you know, give them some feedback and some resources. And as well as my podcast can help and answer particular questions and have you start using the cognitive behavioral therapy tools um, as well. So I've been doing CBT for since uh, 1997. Um, I want to give kudos out to Dr. Dennis Greenberger, who trained me when I worked at UCI. And I know I talk about his book, Mind Over Mood, all the time, which we'll talk about today a little bit, too. That's my go-to for teaching the uh, cognitive behavioral therapy with my clients. And even if you're not in therapy, it's a great book that you can get started with and start learning the CBT on your own. In therapy, you know, you can get a little deeper because your therapist can answer questions for you and get to more of the underlying issues, which is really important, and the underlying thoughts, I should say, really. Um, but on your own, the book can be super helpful. And there's a couple other books I'll talk about today and show you that you can, you know, get on your own and get started as well. So what is cognitive behavioral therapy? So cognitive just means your thought process and obviously behavioral. So the theory is that the way that you think 100% creates your moods, affects your behaviors and your physical reactions. And those are all connected. If you think of like a baby's mobile, you can't have one going on without the other. And then you have your environment, which is a huge factor. And all of this happens in like seconds, right? So what happens is most of us are more in touch with our moods, our feelings, the same thing. And we react to that. So I feel something and I go to the behavior. So it's mood behavior, mood behavior. And what that does is more of a band-aid. And even though it does work in the moment, it doesn't change, you know, what's going on. Because next time you feel that way, you're going to go back and do the same behavior. So what are behaviors? Behaviors could be staying in bed all day. Behaviors could be having rages. Behaviors could be any addictions that you have. Um, you know, spending money you don't really have. You know, shopping might make you feel good. You know, that beer might have felt good and relaxed you. The problem is next time you feel maybe anxious or angry, you're going to go back and drink that beer again or whatever it is, and that's what starts the addictions. So, and I think that's why most people um, don't really get better because they're just going from mood to behavior. So we want to change that. We want to get better. We want to be happy. We want to live fulfilling lives. So if we know that your thoughts create your moods, then we need to figure out what are you thinking to change the mood. And that's the beauty of CBT is that you can figure out what am I actually thinking? Because most of us really don't even know what we're thinking. We just know what we're feeling and then we're reacting to it. So in CBT, I teach people how to figure out what am I thinking right now with the mood that I'm having and that that's what I want to start challenging because just because I think something doesn't mean it's true. Okay. And it's, it's not an easy, it's a skill. You know, it sounds like, okay, let me figure out what I'm thinking about, but it's definitely a skill. And again, you're going to learn it. And although you use a workbook and I have people do a lot of writing and there's homework always involved, the um, main thing you want to remember is once you learn how to do it, that it will just be automatic for you. And it's automatic for me. So when I have a negative mood, because I still have negative moods, of course, that I automatically am in my thoughts a lot quicker than I used to be. And I'm not just reacting off my mood, which is what I did before I knew these tools myself. So that's where we want to get to where you'll be able to 
have the you know mood and right there in the moment, I'm going to be able to figure out what am I thinking about and make some changes. So, and then the environment. I don't want. I always want to address that. Environment super important. Homework, school, any environment that you're in, you want to look and say, you know, is this benefiting me or is it negative? What do I need to do? Sometimes we need to leave environments like maybe a work environment that's not healthy or a relationship. Or sometimes we just need to set really healthy boundaries. So it's not always leaving something, but it's setting boundaries or looking at how am I, you know, behaving in this environment. So that's something to really look at. It's it's good, you know, people tend to blame themselves and, and look at, but so it's, it's a good thing to look at yourself, of course, but sometimes it really isn't you and it's other people in your lives and that you need to get distance from or set the boundaries with, right? So just be mindful of that. So that's the, C- the CBT. Your thoughts create your moods, which affects your behaviors, your physical reactions, and then you want to look at your environment. So it it's, it's, sounds simple, and we try to keep things simple, but that is a real skill to develop. And the research shows that once you really change how you think, you actually do change your brain chemistry. And for those questioning if they should go on medication or not, that if you really try the CBT and give it your all, that the research shows that people with mild to moderate symptoms, say depression, anxiety, that it works just as well as medication and has no side effects, which is a good thing too. So that's just kind of, I wanted to give you the foundation of CBT. And I'm going to read some emails that I already received and wanting to address some questions. And then, like I said, please, you know, Eric's hanging out here with me. Send in any questions you have or comments, and I'll be able to address those as well as, as, you know, as long as we have here on Facebook. So I'm going to just grab my notes here. So I'm going to start with someone who wrote me an email from South Africa, which was super cool. But um, she, so I'm going to read here. She goes, I'm writing to you all the way from South Africa. I remember the day I found your podcast, and I was supposed to give a presentation during my internship. And I was literally having a breakdown, and I eventually made up a lie to get out of it. So I've always been a person who loves taking care of herself, whether through exercise and journaling here and there, but I hadn't realized that I let my anxiety grow to a point where I didn't know how to help myself. Because I didn't have disposable income during the difficult time to go to a therapist, I decided to search on the internet for practical ways to help myself. Your teachings have helped me immensely. I can now speak up in class when a question is being asked, but there are some aspects that remain uncharted. I'm yet to give my presentation and my fear of the unknown, get embarrassed and have people think I'm dumb. Is still very strong some days, and I take leaps forward, and other days it feels like I have regressed back to my old self. I just wanted to share that with you and tell you that your teachings helped me so much. See you in the Facebook Live. So, thank you for that, and to address that. So, you know, public speaking is one of the most, the one thing that people fear the most, I would say. You know, you're very vulnerable when you get up in front of people, and you're not knowing what you're thinking, what you're going to say. And you want to do well and you don't want to be judged right because really you're judging yourself when you're having all of these negative thoughts and a lot of assumptions so in the email as she wrote it's all of these thoughts that she has you know i'm going to look dumb i'm going to make a mistake you know i'll be judged and that it was at the point where she also you know she lied and didn't do her presentation although she you're getting better which is great um you know, she still wants to keep working on things. And so I always say with anxiety, um, there's good news and bad news. So the good news is you can definitely get over anxiety and you can't, you can get to a place where you're managing it versus it managing you. Bad news is you actually have to do what you're avoiding, right? And avoidance is the number one behavior with anxiety. It's like, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to avoid it. Then I don't have to deal with it. 
but it's always there. It's always illuminating, you know, behind you. So to have to actually go do the speaking and go do the speeches is what is going to get you past this. And it's hard. It's really hard. So I'm going to give you a tool for today just to address this. So in the Mind Over Mood book that I use, in the anxiety chapter, there's what, uh, a tool called the fear ladder. So if you think of a ladder, right, you're taking steps up. And so if your ultimate goal is to do your speech in class, all right, that you want to start at the bottom and say, what are some things I could do as baby steps to start addressing this so that I could actually do my presentation and feel okay? So it would be, for example, like I'm going to write out my speech. That would be a first step. And then going up the ladder, it might be I'm going to practice in the mirror. The next step might be I'm going to practice um, with family members. Another step might be to video yourself and then watch yourself back. You know, next step might be, you know, in, if it's in classroom like this is, you know, talk to your teacher and tell your teacher what you're stressing and what your concerns are. And, you know, they can give you some support and maybe some ideas as well. And then ultimately it will be the day when you give your presentation. So I'm not saying that it's ever going to be easy and there won't be some jitters. But once you expose yourself to the anxiety that you're having and you realize like, you know what, it went okay. And even if you made a little mistake, like who doesn't, you know, I'll probably make a mistake today. <laughs> you know, it's just the way life is, but that's okay. And you have to go through it because that's what's going to show you the experience that you have. And that then there's evidence like, you know what, I did okay. I can do this. And the more and more I do it, the better that you're going to get. So using that exercise for the fear ladder is one way to address with the anxiety. And as always, which you addressed in your email, which was really great, is you know what you were thinking, you know, that the thought was, I'm going to make a mistake, I'm going to look dumb, you know, I'm going to look silly, I'll be judged, right? So those are what I call hot thoughts, H-O-T. And a hot thought, super important to remember this, is a thought that is not 100% true, okay? And most of our thoughts are hot because we have about eighty or 90,000 a day that's going through our head. So I always tell everybody, you know, if we understand maybe or know about 100, we're pretty lucky. But we want to understand that we have thoughts that are facts, but we have thoughts that are hot thoughts, and that's all you got. And the hot thoughts, again, are thoughts that are not 100% true. So all of her thoughts and assumptions are hot thoughts. It hasn't even happened yet. We don't know if you're going to make a mistake. We don't know if people will, you know, think you did a bad job or that, you know, they're going to judge you. Okay? So... Thinking those thoughts, though, that's my example before with the CBT, is I think this, so now I feel anxious, so now my behavior is avoidance, right? And then the physical reactions might be, you know, short of breath, or, you know, maybe you feel nauseous, your heart's pounding really hard, you know, those are all symptoms of anxiety. And again, it just happens like that. And then she made that decision not to do the um, presentation that day. So again, that's why, you know, like I'm saying, it happens really quick. So you want to first say, you know, what am I thinking when I'm having a negative mood, and is that even 100% true? And then we're going to talk about, you know, balancing out those thoughts. So that's a start, and at least a tool to start addressing doing the public speaking, uh, which a lot of us, like I said, go through, or, or anything that you want to work on, that you want to reach a goal, is to do the fear ladder and start thinking about what are some baby steps I can take if I'm not ready just to plunge in, right? And to take baby steps, you know, progress, not perfection, I always tell everybody. We want to work on just getting better. It's not about being perfect because none of us are going to get there, but we want to work towards being our best. So I hope that answers your question regarding doing the public speaking and how can you start to get over that and address it. So that's my first one. I'm going to grab my note here. Um, I also had someone ask me about imposter syndrome, which was a great question. 
and about opening up to others um, regarding is it a detriment and also how challenging it is. So imposter syndrome, if you're not familiar with that, is the belief that you really don't know what you're doing and you're really not good at what you're doing. So I think a lot of, I've had this moment, I've had moments in my life too as a therapist, you know, I can compare myself to people, you know, written books or on TV and I'm like, do I really know what I'm doing? And, you know, and, and people, for a lot of people, there'll be a work and their boss is going to come look at a report and they're thinking like, you know, first thing I'm going to get fired, you know, or they're going to figure out I really don't know what I'm doing. So what it is underlying all of that is an insecurity, right, in yourself. And we all get triggered different times in our lives about being insecure, which is normal. And we want to acknowledge that and see when that happens. So instead of just, you know, sitting in this anxiety, which is what it's going to cause for you, and not, you know, maybe speaking up or not really, maybe even asking for help. Say you're at work and you need a project and you need, you know, you're doing a project, you need some help. You may be afraid to ask because then you're going to think they're really going to see, I don't know what I'm doing. Which really the other way, if you think about, if you were the boss, you would want your coworkers, you know, your um, employees to ask you for help if they need it so you can be your best. So it really gets in the way of you being authentic in who you are and maybe even getting the help you need. And so with imposter syndrome, using the CBT, I would say is once you recognize that and understand what are my thoughts, you know, why do I think that I really don't know what I'm doing? And then looking for evidence of your success. You know, what evidence do I have that I do know what I'm doing, that I'm good enough, that sure, I can always work and be a little better, but I'm qualified, I have the skills to be doing what I'm doing right now. Um, also, you know, again, as I say, progress, not perfection, we're, you know, we're, hopefully we're always working on ourselves. There's always room for improvement. Again, it's not that we don't have to know everything right now. I'm always learning. I'm always taking classes still. I'm always, you know, wanting to be better at what I do. So it's not that, oh, great, I'm here. I don't have to do anything anymore, but I at least feel confident in what I'm doing. And I feel confident that I can help people and give them, you know, the right direction and the tools but I know for me, I want to keep working on what I do and keep getting better and keep practicing so that I can be the best I can be and I don't have to have those moments of insecurity. But if I do, I go back and say, you know, you've been doing this a long time. You've talked to a lot of people. You get a lot of good feedback. So I know enough <laughs> to make a difference to be able to teach people the CBT. So ask yourself that when you have imposter syndrome. And I want to address when the um, person that wrote me, uh, Lisa, the email was about, you know, is it challenging, you know, and really who should you share that with? So it's not that you tell everybody that you're insecure. It's not that you tell everybody that, you know, I don't think I know what I'm doing. You want to be particular about who you open up to in your life. Sometimes you might have met somebody that is sharing something really personal and you don't know them well. And it's almost like uncomfortable, like, I don't know this person. This is too much information. Like some people, you have to have really healthy boundaries and think about, who is it that I can go to and share my insecurities and my questions with that can be supportive and not make me feel worse, right? And, and they'll be like, you know, I shouldn't have said anything, and then we shut down. So be particular and think about, you know, if it maybe is your boss, if it's your manager, somebody else at work, a friend. You know, who is someone I can trust to give me that love and that support when I can share that I am feeling insecure? And they can maybe give me some good direction. So it is always risky to open up but if you have good people in your life and you take that opportunity to share most likely they're going to be there for you and that'll be really good for you to be able to move on and start feeling better about yourself and maybe you'll it'll be an opportunity that you're going to give someone else you don't even know that when you share with them maybe they'll share with you 
you know, and, and this I find happens a lot with my clients is that they're thinking something and I'm like, you know, there's a tool we have called a survey technique. And basically what that is, that if you think that, um, you know, you're making a mistake or, or people don't like you, you know, or they want you to be different, um, or you're thinking, or maybe you're thinking about the imposter syndrome, right? Like I'm the only one here that doesn't really know what they're doing. And say you went around and you took a survey and you asked people, you know, sometimes I think like, I really don't know what I'm doing. You know, I don't really have my act together. Most likely, most likely, you will have other people say, I think the same thing. And taking that survey and realizing we're all so much more alike than you think. And all of us have all these negative, insecure thoughts, which is just normal with the way life is today. That when I talk to other people, they're like, yeah, I think the same thing. I worry about the same stuff. That can give you a lot of, you know, support. And maybe you can let go of that thought. Because everybody else is thinking this. And I'm just sitting here putting myself through turmoil thinking I'm the only one. So the survey technique is another CBT tool you can use as well. And just asking other people, do you think the way I do, you know, have you ever had this thought? And see what they have to say. So that's another one you can take with you. So with the imposter syndrome, using all the CBT tools, reaching out to someone you feel support with, and looking for the evidence that you are competent and you have the skills regarding whatever it is that you're feeling insecure about. So that would be some tools for that. Okay. Let me keep going here. Um, someone also is asking about how do we deal with toxic family members and how can we accept that they're in our family and we still have to have a relationship with them? If we, if, I, well, I should say if we have to, if you choose to, right? So most of us can probably somewhere in our family tree find someone that we feel is toxic in our family. But for whatever reason we may choose, um, to still have them in our life, or we may feel like, you know, maybe we have to for whatever circumstance, right? Maybe there's other family members that are connected to that person, and we don't want to lose connection with them, you know, that type of thing. So it all comes back to the word that um, the email that they talked about was acceptance, right? So I do have uh, one of my podcasts is on acceptance, and what I talk about is acceptance is usually about problems that we really can't change or fix, okay? And it's not about liking our choices, right? Acceptance doesn't mean you like it, you just accept it. Like, it is what it is, I can't change it. But if I don't accept it, it's gonna to continue to affect me negatively, right? And what we resist persists. If I resist accepting something in my life, it's just gonna persist and I'm gonna be more upset. And if I just go through like, why are they in my life? Why are they so toxic? Why can't they be supportive? Why can't they understand? Right? Why, why, why? Which keeps you more as the victim, right? Because now it's like they're toxic. I'm stuck with them. So one of my new um, mantras that I'm using from um, an author, which I'll talk about in a little bit, Dr. Egger, says, instead of why me, what now? Which I think is really powerful. And that has a lot to do with acceptance. So instead of why me, why do I have these people in my life? Why do I have to deal with this? You know, again, why can't they change or see what they're doing to me? And I'm stuck with them. It's why, it's what now? What am I going to do about it? And that's part of accepting, right? So acceptance, again, I'm going to accept this as a situation. What am I going to do about it? I'm not just going to accept it and sit in my despair. I'm going to, again, maybe go back to what I said earlier. So maybe setting boundaries. Maybe you won't see those people as often, Okay. Maybe you'll decide, is it possible to actually talk to them? That's always an option. 
right? Trying to talk and reach out. They might not hear it because if they really are toxic, they might not have that insight or that willingness. They may just blame you. So you have to decide if that's a, you know, a good idea also. But the acceptance is, you know, you're not stuck and we all have choices. I have a lot of people say, you know, well, I don't like that choice. So that's not a choice, but that's not the way it works. <laughs> so we all have choices, whether we like it or not, whether we like the choices we have, but we have to decide what's going to be the best choice for me. And the best choice for all of us is not to let other people control our moods, our behaviors, create these horrible thoughts about ourselves. And that we all do have choices. And sometimes, yeah, they're super difficult and painful to make. But you do have a choice. You do have a choice. And that, you know, a lot of people think that they're stuck in their life and that they're not. Stuck can be a feeling, but it can also be a hot thought. You know, that I'm stuck. And it's sad when you think you're stuck. Because that means you don't think you have any choices. And when you don't think you have choices, you're not living. So, you know, take a minute and say, you know, is there anywhere where I feel stuck in my life, where I don't think I can make changes, or I'm blaming others, right? And blaming is, is one of the distortions we talk about in CBT. And I always say, you know, blamers don't change because it's not their fault. <laughs> so if you're a blamer or someone's blaming you, no change is going to happen. Because it's, it's not your fault, right? If it's somebody else's fault, then I, I just sit here and I don't do anything. But again, that still keeps you stuck and makes you feel bad. So acceptance is a tough one. I also share with a lot of my clients that, you know, you might accept something today and tomorrow you're like, oh, I'm back to where I was. And I need to start, you know, working on acceptance again. It doesn't mean that once you get it, it's just going to go. It might in some situations, but you might still struggle. But as you work on it, it's going to get easier and easier and easier. And then you can feel good and you can let that go in your life. You know, there's a great story I want to share in the, in the Mind Over Mood book is there was a man whose uh, father has Alzheimer's. And, you know, the longer he went to visit him, eventually his dad didn't remember who he was. And it was so painful to go see him. So he had spoke to, you know, one of the nurses saying, you know, I don't think I'm going to come visit much anymore. It's really painful for me to, you know, come here. My dad doesn't even know who I am. And instead, you know, she gave him some advice and she said, you know, why don't you come and visit just as a visitor? You know, your dad can still play cards. You guys can still watch TV together. You know, his dad was still able to do some things. And he decided to do that. And the rest of his dad's time, he would come and visit him. And they would do that. They'd play cards, watch TV. And his acceptance was, this is what it is. And I can still spend time with this person. Even though it might not be the way I wanted to, that I want my dad to know who I am, of course. That's really painful. But I can still spend my time with him. And he felt so good that he made that decision to not just walk away because it was too hard to accept. So that's just a, you know, it's a beautiful story. It's just a great example that we can make lots, we can make decisions for ourselves, whatever the circumstances, and nobody toxic in your life has to control. And then on top of that, if it's someone toxic, I want to say also, you know, you might be dealing with grief as well because the relationship isn't what you want it to be. And um, grief isn't just about someone that died. Grief is any loss in your life. And grief isn't just about the loss of the person, right? But it's also about what's not to be, right? A lot of us just think it's like, oh, I just lost that person. I feel really sad. And that is part of it. But we want to acknowledge that the grief is that, you know, my dad won't be, you know, in this example with this man, you know, my dad won't be aware of maybe when I have a child, you know, or won't be able to meet my kids because of the Alzheimer's, right? Or, you know, the grief of, you know, 
losing a parent too early and then not being there to be able to experience your joys or, you know, whatever the grief is, a relationship that you thought was going to work out, that you thought this was my life. We're going to, you know, I don't know, get married and have a family together and then something happens. I mean, so grief is, there's a lot of things that go on with grief. So I want you to understand it's not just about what you lost, but what also you're not going to have going forward. And that that's, that's as, you know, significant as, as all of grief is. So that's attached to this acceptance that there can, you know, recognize I'm also grieving. And that's where the sadness comes from, that it's not how I wanted it to be. But I need to figure out how to deal with this so I don't let it continue to affect my life and that I can still be happy and find other support in my life if I'm not going to get it from these family members. So I hope that was helpful. Um, another email that I received I wanted to address was someone was asking about OCD personality disorder, which is different than OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I do have a, a podcast called It's Not Me, It's My OCD that is on OCD. And talking about personality disorder is a little different, but I just wanted to, to touch on that because that was part of the, an email that I got. And OCD personality um, is really, you know, it's still, it's under the umbrella of anxiety. So let me explain that for a minute. So if you think of an umbrella, right, and then you have anxiety, and then underneath that, there's lots of different. So there's OCD, there's generalized anxiety, there's panic disorder, there's trichotillomania where people pull their hair out of their head, eyelashes, that kind of thing. Um, there's specific phobia, you know, maybe of like roller coasters or, um, you know, heights, that kind of thing, claustrophobia. So there's lots of types of anxiety disorders. And um, then you have the OCD personality disorder. So there is anxiety within that as well. And with OCD personality, what happens is you get so wrapped up and so rigid in the task and it has to be just so that you don't even enjoy what you're doing. <laughs> you don't even enjoy maybe the job you're doing because you're too wrapped up in just how things need to be. Or you won't ask for help because you want it, it has to be done just the way you want it to be, right? And then, you know, when people pick that up from you, they might not even want to approach you because you're too rigid about how to do stuff. So the OCD personality is not so much about, you know, the compulsions and, you know, being obsessive about stuff, but it's about the more of the rigidity and not allowing to enjoy the tasks at hand and, and being, again, more concerned about it turning out right than, you know, enjoying, like, say you're going to get ready, for, say you're going to have a party, right? You might be too wrapped up in, like, everything just having to be perfect and the house is clean and the flowers are there and the balloon, like, everything's right that I'm not even having fun because I'm too wrapped up in like everything having to be right. And what does that come from? Again, it goes back to, you know, what's this insecurity that everything has to be a certain way? You know, what's going on at your core that you're not feeling good enough or confident enough about yourself? And usually with this personality, it's usually, you know, like early adulthood, you can start seeing it. It could have probably, you know, late adolescence as well, but in a lot of early adulthood, people start noticing this. Um, it could be also like, say, with work, you're obsessive with work that you're not even enjoying your accomplishments and what you're doing. So if that's something that you're going through, um, everything I'm talking about today, then the first thing is, you know, to, to be mindful and to say what's going on with me because I'm not happy. I'm not happy with the choices I'm making, my behaviors. You know, what am I thinking about that's causing me to feel bad and make the choices in my life, which are the behaviors. And if I'm having physical reactions, sometimes, you know, that can be the way your body is letting you know that you're stressed. So I just tell people that come in with panic, you know, attacks. I'm like, your body's like saying, hello, 
you're not paying attention, you know, you're at that point where your body's react, overreacting. And that's when a lot of people come in for help because we tend to put up with just mild stuff. Like, yeah, I'm not sleeping too good, but that's okay. Or, yeah, you know, I'm doing much of an appetite or it's a little hard to concentrate. Like, you know, I'll drink a little extra caffeine, right? Like we tend to minimize things with us and we don't really take good care of ourselves. And when you go on and on and on like that, eventually your body's going to tell you that there's a problem. So if it's not a panic attack, you know, it might be just having, you know, not just, but having headaches, you know, like you may always have like upset stomach, you know, you might have a lot of like muscle tension and we tend to just write that off to other things. But think about it like, okay, my body's trying to tell me I need to maybe slow down. I need to look at how I'm living. I need to maybe look at the relationships in my life. So the silver lining to having physical reactions is that your body is getting your attention because you're not paying attention. And it's really important to do that. And then you can address it, right? So um, instead of, you know, being scared of the panic, you know, which is a horrible feeling, <laughs> horrible feeling. But uh, in my, in my co- podcast on panic, I talk about that if I was to walk upstairs with you and both of our hearts start being a little faster, and you might say, if you suffer from panic, like, oh my God, I'm going to have a panic attack. And I might just say, I need to work out a little more because I shouldn't, you know, my heart shouldn't be pounding this much for walking upstairs. So it's all our perception because nothing bad's going to happen from the panic. But again, it's our way of our body saying, pay attention because something's going on that's not right. And I'm really struggling and I'm not sure what it is. And to take that time to figure out, you know, again, it's like layers and layers. It might be in the back of your head. Wave, you know, sometimes I have to think, what is really bugging me? And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, four or five days ago this happened and I haven't been paying attention, but it's still affecting me. So we all need to, like, slow down, be mindful, and think about, you know, what's going on in our lives if we're not feeling really good and what can I do about it and what am I thinking about. We always want to go back to what am I thinking, what are my thoughts, and are they 100% true? Okay, so I'm going to take a quick note of my, look at my notes again. Also, I wanted to talk about um, forgiveness because that's a question a lot of people ask me um, in working on how to forgive somebody. Give me one second. So part of forgiveness um, is to give up the need, you know, for a different past, right? So a lot of times it's hard to forgive because we wish our past was different. Or um, I think the biggest thing people struggle with with forgiveness Um, is they think if I forgive that person, then they're going to get away with what they did or they're going to get off the hook, right? And that just keeps us, that keeps us hooked in and that keeps us, you know, carrying that monkey on our back. And forgiveness, when they say, you know, will set you free, really is true. And it's not about that person even knowing that you forgave them. It's not about you going to them saying, oh, I forgave you. And there's a good chance you're going to be like, for what? (laughs) Right? A lot of people don't even know we're upset with them or that we hold this resentments. We might not get from them what we need. But it's about, I'm going to forgive because that's what's best for me. So it's not going to hold me back anymore. And the, the biggest change in forgiveness and the thing that helps me the most that when I've used this tool for myself is, you know, understanding, you know, first, you know, what, what, what is it that I want to forgive? How is it still affecting my life? And sometimes it's forgiving others, but sometimes it's forgiving yourself too, right? And when I've had times in my life where I've had to forgive myself, the most important thing is understanding where was I at the time that I made that choice, that I took that action. So I had some things I'd say in my 20s that I needed to forgive myself for. I'm in my 50s now. If I use my 50-year-old brain, it's going to be too hard to forgive myself because now I know better. And I'm like, what the hell was I thinking back then, right? I have to think about where was I emotionally when I made those choices, when I made you know those decisions. 
when I hurt other people. Because now that's so hurtful to think about that I would even do that. But I was not in a good place emotionally. And I understand where I was and why I was there. And that allows me to forgive myself so I can move on. And to do better. Right? Like Maya Angelou said, when you know better, you do better. And hopefully you can learn from your past. So forgiveness is understanding if it's about yourself, where was I at the time that I made those choices? And that to have some compassion and to be able to forgive and to say, how am I doing better? Okay, forgiving someone else, it's also understanding what was maybe going on with them. Maybe there's something I just don't even know about, why they've made those choices. Or if I do understand them, to know their history. Especially I think like with parents, you know, if we've been hurt by parents, felt abandoned, you know, neglected, whatever happened, even abuse, right? Is, you know, that's a lot of, those are big things to forgive. But they will hold on to you if you don't. So if you know your parents' story, this has helped me in my life that when I understood my parents' background, so I understood the choices they made regarding me, even if I didn't like them, <laughs> I was able to forgive because I understood who they were as people versus that's my mom and my dad. You know, they should have known better or whatever. But they're still people. And if I can separate myself from the things they did that affected me because I understand them, then I'm able to start that forgiveness and have some compassion for them as a person so that I can forgive and I can move on and let go. So remember, when I was saying, you know, the person doesn't have to be here, I mean, a lot of people are like, well, that person passed away, so how am I ever going to be able to forgive? But again, the, you don't need the person. You don't need to have them involved in your life or anything. This is just for you. Um, also in the Mind Over Mood book, uh, in Chapter 15, there's a great, there's great tools. There's one, a forgiveness letter for yourself. <coughs> Excuse me. And there's a forgiveness letter for someone else, which I, it's a great tool, great tool. And you just go through the steps and it's going to ask you some of these questions that I'm talking about to get you to that place. And I've had, you know, some clients write a forgiveness letter to the same person maybe three, four times. You know, it's, it's a process. You know, a lot of feelings come up. But forgiveness is really an important thing to work on. And maybe to ask yourself, is there something I need to forgive myself for? Is there something I need to forgive somebody else in my life for? And that might be the thing that you want to work on. And remember that the thoughts that if I forgive them, they're going to get away with it is what I call a super hot thought because there is just no evidence for that whatsoever. Forgiveness isn't about forgetting what happened, but it's about forgiving so that it doesn't continue to drag me down in my life. And it doesn't affect the choices I make because I'm holding on to this resentment. So that I hope is really helpful regarding addressing forgiveness. Um, there's one more I want to talk about. Oh, yes, perfectionism. I wanted to talk about that because that's a biggie that I also see with a lot of clients, a lot of clients. And my first thing I want to share about, um, you know, trying to be perfect is to understand that just trying to be perfect and going through those behaviors sends you a message that there's something wrong with me or I'm broken or I'm not good enough, right? So just trying to do that is the negative meant like, why am I trying to be, why aren't I good enough just as I am? I have to be perfect. And what's perfect? I mean, perfect is different for everybody. We all have moments probably like that was a perfect day or perfect lunch or perfect date or, you know, whatever, whatever that might be. But in general, if you're always striving for perfection, you know, it is gonna, it'll break you. It's too hard to be perfect all the time. And again, you're not gonna be able to be focused and be present in your life if you're always trying to reach for that perfection. And that being good enough is where we want to get to. We want to strive to be our best. 
But if I always have that baseline that I know I'm good enough, that I'm worthy, that I'm lovable, then whatever I do is going to be good enough, even if it isn't, you know, what perfection is. So you want to be careful about what messaging am I, am I sending to myself? And it's a tough thing to break, you know? We might have been raised that you need to be perfect, right, with grades or whatever might have been in your life. We might have, you know, been in an, um, an environment where it's like perfect, perfect, you know, high intensity, you know, jobs or whatever it might be. You know, there's a lot of messages we get from society on how we're supposed to be. So it's important to take the time to think about, you know, where am I regarding myself? Do I feel that I'm good enough? Right? And it's not always going to be a steady race. There's moments that I might not feel good enough and I want to look at that. But in general, you know, at my core, do I feel good about myself? And that if I don't, if I'm not perfect, that if I don't get the A+, plus, if I know I did my best, that's good enough for me. And I can move on and be happy with my life. People that are trying to be perfectionists really are not in, they don't feel happy. And they feel a lot of times just humiliated all the time within themselves because they're like, I'm never getting there, right? Because the standards are too high. So don't go through your life, you know, sending messages that you're not good enough or something's wrong with you. Because wherever you are right now is you're good enough. And that's where you're supposed to be. And now you're ready to move forward and make changes. I've had a lot of people in therapy like, oh my God, you know, I'm whatever, my 50s, 60s, I can't believe I waited so long. And I just say, you know, it's probably because you're ready. You know, that, you know, for whatever reason, when you're in your 30s, you weren't ready yet to deal with what you're ready to deal with now. And, you know, it's a blessing and to be grateful that now you're ready. And it's never too late. No matter how old you are, it is never too late to change your life and to learn new tools and to feel better about yourself. Right. And all those old messages, all those old tapes we have in our head, you know, are, no matter where you go, what you do, it's going to chase you and bite you in the butt if you don't deal with it. Right. No matter no matter what you've tried that. That's why people are like, I can't believe I'm still talking about maybe my childhood or this breakup I had in my 20s. People are like, I cannot believe it. But I'm like, if you didn't deal with it, why would you think it'd be gone? Right. That we need to address it. And it's OK if you didn't do it sooner. All that matters is that you're doing it now. And that you feel worthy enough. If you're coming into therapy, I already know. If you're listening to me and you're wanting to make changes, I already know that you feel worthy enough to make changes. That you feel like, you know what? I do have some hope that I can learn some new tools. I want to change. I don't like this about me. I want to change it. I want to be happier. I don't want to let my depression, my anxiety manage my life. I want to manage it. I want to hopefully get rid of it. You know, whatever you're going through. That life is, you know, way too precious to go through life being anxious about everything and all the uncertainty. And I think with the, you know, the world we're in today, especially, you know, with COVID, talk about uncertainty. Like none of us know when it's going to, you know, be done, be over. We open up, we close. Like, you know, it's hard to make plans, right? A lot of things we love were taken, you know, um, be mean, you know, not taken, I should say, were closed. So, you know, I used to work out, I used to swim all the time, you know, back a few months ago, like everything was just closed. I was like, what am I going to do now? Right. I had to get creative and start doing different things like, you know, and then I didn't know when I would be able to get back and do the things that I really enjoy and I, that I love. So obviously, you know, during this pandemic, suicide's gone up, mental health issues, drug addiction, everything's gone up. And a lot of that is because we're anxious and we have all that uncertainty. Right. So instead, we want to say, OK, yeah, that's where we're at. But I can I'm still living my life. I'm still getting up every day instead of why me? What now? How am I going to handle the situation that I'm in? And again, by coming to therapy, listening to my podcast, being with me right now today and saying, I want to learn something new. I want to figure out what am I thinking, right? 
and how is that making me feel and how is it affecting my choices? We already know you're in a good place because you have some self-worth that you're giving yourself the time to get better. So keep working on things. Keep always asking yourself, you know, what am I thinking? Whenever you have a negative mood, it's the first place you want to go. What am I thinking about? And to start addressing, you know, is that a hot thought, which is, you know, is a thought that's not 100% true? And then to start challenging that. So let me just show you a couple of my books I've been talking about, I know, but I want to show you. So the one with Dr. Edgar, which I would um, recommend. So this is called The Choice. It's not full of, it's a, it's a heavy book, um, but it's a fabulous book. She's a psychologist who was a CBT also. She does a lot of CBT psychologist. She was a Holocaust survivor. So she shares her story, but she also shares about healing and um, working with clients. And it's been a life changer for me. I just finished this one. Um, another book I just want to show you is I've had a lot of training with Dr. David Burns. So this is his brand new book called Feeling Great. I haven't actually finished this one yet. He did Feeling Good like 25 years ago and it just came out with this one. This is all CBT. talks about all the tools that I talked about today plus lots, lots more. So this is a great one to go to. And then my go-to book is Mind Over Mood. So this is by Dr. Greenberger and Dr. Podesky. This is my go-to. I use this with all my clients. This is the one I recommend that you pick up. It's a great workbook. Um, it's written really well. It's not too complicated. It walks you through the tools and um, gives you a lot of helpful hints and just talks about you know what CBT is and how you can address all of the issues. It talks about, again, with your core beliefs. It talks about depression, anxiety, and you know, lots of other things. So that's the one that I use with all my clients as well as the feeling great and the tools in there. You just listened to my CBT podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram at mycbtpodcast. My email is mycbtpodcast at gmail.com. My website is mycognitivebehavioraltherapy.com. You can find me on Facebook at Dr. Julie Osborne and on LinkedIn at Dr. Julie Osborne. Whoa, Poe Productions.